Afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the second Racing Matters podcast. Uh, we kicked off last week with Nick Luck, and uh, I was joined by um, Becky, who represents the youth of today. Becky, how's uh, the week been in the world of the young? Yeah, it's been good. Not a whole lot has been going on, but still in sunny Sussex, and the sun is shining again today. So you're still out of London, no plans to go back to London anytime soon? Um, maybe to pick up a couple of things, but not planning on staying there. <laughs> things are going to change. Um, so we were joined by Nick last week, which was very interesting. And we heard from uh, him mainly on the broadcasting side of racing. And I'm pleased to say we're joined by another name uh, from the broadcasting side of racing, but better known for her work in Dubai. So I'm joined by Laura King. Laura, good afternoon. Hi, really, really good to join you. I didn't know I was in such exalted company as, as Nick. So uh, I've got a, a lot to live up to from your, your podcast last week. We, uh, we only sign A-list guests for this show. Oh, well, that's, so that's um, no. <laughs> you, you are in the A-list. Now, Laura, the last time I think we saw each other in person might have been the Breeders' Cup um, at Churchill Downs. Um, yes. We had a good time there. And Breeders' Cup's obviously coming up soon. So a little bit of a, a segue briefly. Um, just before we go into like international travel and all of that stuff, um, just for the one or two listeners out of the millions listening that won't know who you are and your background, do you want to do the elevator pitch? Just let us know what you're up to in racing and how you got there, etc. Yeah, thanks. I'm the lead English language presenter on Dubai Racing Channel. I've been with the channel for 11 years. I've been in Dubai for 15 years. And that's pretty much what I do. I cover the, all the European flat racing during the summer months, which is great. Often we're in, in the UK doing that. But this year, obviously, we've been covering it remotely from Dubai. And then in the winter, we cover the racing here. And we have five tracks here in the UAE, the most famous of which is Maidan. And we start racing at Maidan in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, it's a brilliant place to be during the winter months. I've seen it evolve and and grow and uh, very very lucky to be doing what I do and uh, international racing is absolutely my passion I love it I love nothing more than, than big fixtures such as the Breeders Cup that you you mentioned and, and and I think that people being brave enough and putting the money together to send horses around the world is absolutely brilliant so that's kind of what my world revolves around and say lucky to be doing what I do yeah and um, we're going to get into the international stuff and indeed um, this was actually fortuitous timing this isn't one of those PR-led podcasts because the carnival's starting in a couple of weeks it's just very good timing we're going to come on to the carnival in just a sec but one thing um, that came up when we were just sort of going through our show notes and things was quite simply what, what's it like living in Dubai and working in racing in a place that's you know so heavily associated with horse racing for obvious reasons um do you feel like you're sort of under the microscope part of the fabric of the place or do you kind of feel just like another expat it's brilliant really because everywhere you go there's kind of little reminders of the racing heritage of, of the place you know like there's a they painted they built a bridge Dubai's always building as as you know and they built a bridge recently and it goes right it goes over the top of Godolphin stables and they, they decorated this bridge with a beautiful sort of motif of Godolphin horses. It's absolutely amazing. And I can't imagine that happening anywhere else in the world, that, that they care enough about what a bridge looks like to decorate it in, in Godolphin blue with, with running horses along the side. It's absolutely beautiful. It just gives you an example of it. And 
Yeah, I've been here so long. Um, but the things do continue to, to change. Obviously, Dubai is very famous for that. But I think what's what's got nicer is we've got a much broader spectrum of owners in the game here now. There's a lot more normal people, if you like, owning horses. It's not just the royal families. And that's been brilliant. We've seen lots of syndicates arrive over the last few years. Ordinary people bringing horses maybe from uh, from America or from, from the UK and owning bits and pieces of horses. And now we've got this tremendous sort of camaraderie at the races where everybody cheers on everyone else. And it's, it's wonderful. So we've seen it change for the better in, in that way. But uh, yeah, I suppose I feel like just another expat most of the year. And then, you know, during the, the carnival January and, and the build up to the World Cup in, in, in March, it all, it all gets very whirlwind and you just feel incredibly privileged to do what you do. In your friendship and um, getting to know, you know, so many people, um, as in locals, uh, do, or UAE nationals rather, since you've been there, do they all have a, you know, a, a passion or, or a familiarity with racing, um, you know, a bit like maybe we do with football or rugby here. Is, is racing kind of just part of the, of the culture or has Sheikh Mohammed added that to Dubai in recent years? I certainly think horses are part of the culture. You know, you've got your horse, you've got your falcon to a lesser extent, um, Salukis perhaps that are sort of part of the, the, the heritage thing here. But the local, the local guys, the Emiratis and the ladies are very, very patriotic. And they would cheer on Godolphin. They would cheer on any of the, the, the royal family's horses. And now we're seeing an increasing number of, of young Emiratis go out and, and buy horses uh, of, of their own, which is, is brilliant. A colleague of mine called Sultan is absolutely fantastic. He's really embraced the racing in Sweden. He's bought lots of horses. He's sent them over there to race. And he's the most enthusiastic guy. And he's invested a lot. And he's, he's doing little bits of breeding and he's just an example of the sort of younger band of, of Emiratis who are really getting involved in racing. And there's also quite a few that came through the, the Massar Godolphin project. Um, a guy called Abdulaziz Al Nouri, really nice young guy. And he's started buying horses. He's very knowledgeable, very, very, um, again, enthusiastic. And we're seeing a lot of that now, the, the younger sort of wave of, of people getting involved in racing, which is, is brilliant. And so it's, it's a lot of it to do with, um, them wanting to, to sort of emulate Sheikh Mohammed and, and, and team and a lot of it's just to do with I think a, a natural sort of love of, of, of the sport and that brings us on quite nicely actually um, I've heard good things about Abdulaziz actually um, I was introduced to him uh, probably 18 months ago with with respect to doing some bits and pieces there but that's an aside talking of young people Becky does represent the youth of today on this podcast and has been gathering questions for you from her fellow youths. Um, and we mentioned the carnival earlier. So Becky, I know you've got a question on the carnival. Sounds about the right time to, to get into yeah. that. Yeah, so can you explain a little bit to those who don't know about how the carnival is very much an international event? Um, you have plenty of overseas runners. Did it start off this way or did it take a number of years to get horses from further afield to run at the carnival well it started back in 2004 was the first one i think initially it was before my time here but they did get very good support initially from um especially britain and ireland um there's there's very good subsidies in place for bringing horses over to the carnival if you come over and your horse runs twice then you don't um you don't pay for the, the flights for that horse 
So that's great. Um, there's a, a good turf program, a good dirt program. So if you wanted to come from America, we saw Doug O'Neill come last year and have a lot of success here, including winning the UAE 2000 guineas. Um, so that's backed up with a good turf program, which could often traditionally do well at. You'd be disappointed if they didn't do well in their own backyard, if you like. But um, it's, it's been really good fun. Last year, we saw horses win from Sweden, from America, as I've mentioned, from Bahrain, from Ireland, from the UK, from here in, in the UAE. I'm sure I'm missing a couple of countries. I think we had seven different countries win here at the carnival. So it's going to be a little bit more boutique in 2021. It starts on the, the 21st of um, uh, January, which is a little bit later than usual. Like everywhere else in the world, we have got a few issues with um, prize money cuts and things like that. We're, we're not immune to all of that, unfortunately, but it should still be a really good seven weeks of racing. It all builds up to the Dubai World Cup, which takes place uh, next year on March 27th. Yeah, it seems odd that because obviously the Dubai World Cup was cancelled this year because of coronavirus and we're still kind of in lockdown going back into the start of the carnival. Yeah, well, we're, we're um, not under lockdown here. Um, we've obviously got lots of restrictions in place um, regarding, um, you know, going out and about and how many people you can have in a car and we have to wear masks at all times here when leaving our houses. We're not quite sure yet of the rules um, for the carnival, whether we'll be behind closed doors. The early indications from the domestic season, which starts next week, is that unfortunately we will be behind closed doors. But because it's free for people to attend racing here, it would be very hard to instigate any social distancing. So I do yeah. think that's the right decision for safety. But yeah, I know what you mean. It seems a bit strange that when so, so much of the world, effectively people are confined to their house, that we're racing as normal. But it is an industry. A lot of people do depend on it, including here in Dubai, when it employs thousands of people. So we need to keep racing so that people keep sending horses here and it keeps the wheels turning. Yeah, for sure. And um, who are the regular faces from overseas that come to the carnival every year? Well, I was just chatting yesterday to a trainer based in Ireland called David Monane, who's never missed a carnival so far. I think he's been, been represented at, at all of them. Trainer Mick Halford, another Irish trainer, he's done very well at the carnival over the years. We've also got from Newmarket, David Simcock, Group 1 winning, classic winning trainer, um, has always done very, very well here. Football fans might know of a man called Mick Shannon, who was a very successful footballer, but now is a very successful racehorse trainer. He comes every year. He had a winner last year. Oh, it could go on and on. And then, of course, you've got our, our very own Godolphin trainers, Charlie Appleby and Saeed Bin Saroor, who most years have a bit of a fight between themselves as to who will be crowned the, the, the top trainer. And, of course, with the top trainers, you get the top jockeys. We have William Buick and James Doyle based here for most of the carnival. And then, generally, in a normal year, the other jockeys, Christoph Sumian, etc., would fly in and out um, when required. Yeah, so um, some jockeys um, sort of relocate to Dubai for the duration of the carnival, but do some trainers do the same as well? Do they move yeah, so last to... year we had Doug O'Neill, as I mentioned, who's won a Kentucky Derby, I think two Kentucky Derbies over in, in America. He came and brought a small string of horses and his assistant was based here for the whole of, of the carnival, which was, was absolutely brilliant. And then you, what would generally would happen would be a trainer from, say, England or Ireland might send two or three horses they'd send a rider or two riders and maybe an assistant um, or a foreman to, to look over, to, to, sort of, um, to sort of control everything, have, have, oversee everything. And then the trainer would fly in and out every, every couple of weeks for racing 
and for overseeing the fast work. That's generally what most trainers would do because a lot of them have big yards back at home and they find that if they clear off to Dubai for, for two months in January, uh, their owners get a little bit annoyed. Yeah, for sure. So one thing, so I was actually speaking with Jamie Osborne the other day, who was also a regular visitor to uh, Dubai over the years and had some success um, with Melbourne 10 and others. Um, yes. I think a lot of our listeners and people in general, really, who, who may not know quite as much about racing, um, how do you travel these horses? I mean, obviously, we know by air and all the rest of it, but when they land in Dubai, um, does a visiting trainer, for example, do they have to hire a yard or is there kind of a, a, a communal yard or a neutral zone where they go, etc.? How does it work when a horse lands at the airport? What, what happens after that? So when they, they land here, they have to do 48 hours in, in quarantine um, when they, they're not allowed out of the, the quarantine zone. So that's at International Stables, which is, is very close to Maidan. It's about a, a mile walk um, to the track in the mornings. And once they've done their 48 hours in quarantine, they can come out um, every, every morning and they go out on the, on the track and, and they, they go in sort of in, in time zones, if you like. So a horse from England could be on the track at the same time as another horse from England but not at the same time as another horse from, uh, you know, India or, or, or Japan. It, it's very much a, a sort of time zone thing so that, that they try to separate them as much as they can outside of race nights when inevitably you're going to get them mix and line up next to each other. But of course it only is for a couple of minutes. So that's how it works. It's all very, very tightly controlled. Um, no, I mean, I, I've been here as, as media for 15 years. I'm not allowed into international stables. They're, they're very, very strict about who goes in and out for obvious reasons. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, we um, we talked about a lot about people that come in and come out, and horses from the states and Ireland and the UK. What majority of the horses running in this would you say are local horses? And apart from the Godolphin um, group, are there many other local groups um, from the UAE that that place their horses in the carnival? Yeah, I'd say actually our, our locally based trainers have been increasingly hard to beat in recent years. The early carnivals would have uh, a, lot of, a lot of success for, for trainers visiting. Now it's difficult. It really is. Um, I said we had, I think, seven different countries win at the carnival last year. But our local trainers, particularly on the dirt, are just so hard to catch. Our champion trainer last year, Satish Seema, does very, very well, particularly with his, his youngsters. He's done very well with his three-year-olds in recent years and in, in the big dirt races as, as well. And then Doug Watson, who was the champion trainer the year before him, or two years before him, sorry, he does very, very well as, as well. So they would be the two really big yards. And then we've got Salim bin Gadea, and he's had quite a few Group 1 winners now. He's an up-and-coming trainer, trains a lot for Sheikh Hamdan, Sheikh Mohammed's son. Um, he's got a big yard, lots of very, very nice horses. He's a very much an emerging force. You'd, I'd expect him to be champion trainer here before too long. And another good trainer to mention, another Emirati trainer, is Ahmed bin Harmash, who had a, a really disappointing year last year, but uh, he'll bounce back. He's a very, very talented trainer. So lots of local yards now, and they are increasingly strong at the carnival, which I think if people are coming over here with a horse, they're aware of that. And they know that with the local trainers being so strong on the, on the dirt and with Godolphin being so strong on the turf, it's not an easy place to win, but as as Jamie Osborne, uh, you mentioned, and, and Nick Shannon and a few others proved last year, you can do it. Yeah. 
Um, and you mentioned before about how you come over for the summer um, to the UK um, for the racing. What would you say the atmosphere is like at Maidan in comparison to, say, Ascot? Ascot, Ascot's a weird one, isn't it? Because um, <laughs> if you're at the Royal Ascot, you've got a large swathe of the crowd who are mainly there just to, to quaff champagne, aren't they? Um, yeah. And look pretty. Um, Maidan, we have the same on, on Dubai World Cup night, for sure. It's a lot of it's about socialising. But the rest of the year, we have a, a hardcore of, of, of people, of people who, who live here locally, expatriate crowd, who are absolutely obsessed with their racing. And a lot of these guys are from, from say guys are predominantly men, but you do get quite a nice family atmosphere. You see people going and having picnics and things like that. But I say it's still predominantly men. And from, from, from Sudan and from Pakistan, from Pakistan, a lot of them are. And they are absolutely just in love with, with, with the sport. And the, the same people, you'll see them at, at Maidan on a Thursday. They'll then get in their cars. They'll drive an hour and a half to Alain, one of our other tracks on a Friday. And they are just fascinated by the sport. They are very, very knowledgeable. And they're the, the lifeblood of, of racing here. They, they embrace it. They know about it. They're brilliant. And they create the atmosphere. Um, sadly, obviously, since since March we haven't had them, but hopefully they'll, the, the the crowd will be back in the not too distant future because it's not the same without them. It really isn't. Yeah, we definitely need some of that fanfare more in the UK. Um, and you said before as well that racing is um, free in uh, Dubai. Is that just for Maidan? No, all five tracks are free in the public enclosures. If you want hospitality. So maybe a few drinks or a nice meal, you need to pay. Um, and Maidan, I think, starts from about £25 for the Prey Drink restaurant, which I think is, is pretty good value for, for what you get. Um, and it remains the same during the carnival. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we, we, we treat people too badly and say all the other tracks are, are, are free and you just, you just walk in. How does it work on World Cup night then? I mean, I've, I've been to the World Cup night. It's, it's a long evening uh, great fun and um there's lots of racing and then there's obviously entertainment and all that stuff is that um i mean obviously we pay to get in um how do locals uh, do the world cup night in terms of uh, ticketing so about four or five years ago they decided to remove the free entry and they made it around about four or five pounds um right. which you know you can't, even for low-income groups i think it's, it's it's still very reasonable um you had to buy tickets in advance um so they did that three or four years ago i don't yet know what ticketing will look like for next year even indeed if there will be tickets i have to assume that there will be at this early stage but uh, yeah so they did that three or four years ago and very very reasonable for what is one of the best nights of racing uh in, you know on the planet yeah. it's it's worth saying actually to anyone listening who hasn't been but has it on their um, racing bucket list or indeed any form of bucket list um, it really is worth going um, not just for the night the night's great but the build-up to it and the amount of people that come into town and when you go into any of the pubs especially downtown near where uh, people are staying whether it's tourists come to watch or farriers or anyone um, there's just a real buzz about the place for that entire week and then of course, when you get up to the track on the day, you, you realize the enormity of it because I'm not going to waffle on too much about this, but it is extraordinary when, you know, apart from, I mean, in the UK, especially, obviously, Ascot and Cheltenham, you're used to seeing huge numbers of people. But apart from that, you don't really see that many. And then you go to Maidan and what is it, Laura, 70 odd thousand people on World Cup night? 
Yeah, yeah, it is. It's um, it's a brilliant day, as you say. We're very lucky they treat us very well in, in the build-up. And we have Breakfast with the Stars, which is on the Thursday. There's the Barrier Draw, which is on the Wednesday, which is good fun. And then Connections get invited to a very swanky party on the, on the Thursday night. But uh, sadly, we lost all of that in, in 2020. Um, but let's hope it's back for, for 2021. Yeah, and of course, the racing is top top quality and uh, top dollar as well. Um, I know that the youth had one question just about the differences. You know, you mentioned free entry. Um, Becky, what was the question about the, uh, the other differences in terms of racing in, in UAE? In yeah, the so it was mainly just one of the uh, differences on, on the actual race day when you compare the UAE to the UK. Oh, the main thing is the absence of betting. Um, betting's illegal here in the UAE, so no bookmakers, no tote, no nothing. We do have a pick six competition, which is free. Um, so you come in, you get given a, a pick six form, you tick one horse in each race, you write your phone number and, and everything, and then if you win, you can win maybe £10,000. If it hasn't been, been won for a few weeks, you're going to win double that. It's very, very popular, as you can imagine, and Hats off to anyone who gets all six, because I've certainly never managed it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, with all the resources available in the UAE, I imagine they made quite a lot of innovation and in racing. I remember seeing actually a video that you did maybe a couple of years ago on, I think it was the first cryotherapy chamber for horses in July. Is there anything else exciting that you've seen? Is there anything else exciting that I've seen? The cryotherapy chamber was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. They still use that at the BL every day. Um, not that I know of um, in terms of anything quite as exciting as that. Obviously, everybody's got treadmills. Um, most trainers have access to a swimming pool. Um, we've got all, all, all the mod cons here, really. Um, a few trainers that's train Arabians, obviously Arabian racing is very big here. We have, they will mix things up a little bit and sometimes they might, their horses might go over, you know, a hundred kilometers and do endurance, things like that, um, which is quite wacky. But um, no, I don't think it'd be a while before something tops the cryotherapy, I think. What, um, in terms of spectator viewing, I mean, Maydan was well known or, or is well known for having a, a ginormous TV screen and stuff like that. Is there any things that, that you as a race fan and, and people that watch in Dubai demand, obviously here in the UK, we, you know, lots of people want to know about split times and speeds and they want access to more data on screen. How invested is Dubai in, in technology to take things onto the, the next level from a sort of viewing point of view, do you think? Well, we have split times here, which are really useful, especially with dirt racing. You know, it's all about pace, isn't it? And, uh, I do find that helpful. Um, and Maidan very early on invested in Trackus, which, as well as giving you uh, extra visuals on the screen, um, tells you at the end of a race, very soon after a race, how far, so that the winner maybe travelled 2,000 metres. And then it will tell you the second actually travelled 2,011 metres. Um, or, you know, had a, had a much wider trip. So that, that can be quite useful data. But as far as visuals on the screen go, I would be very anti them because I think horses and horse racing is a beautiful, beautiful sport. And I'm not a fan of covering the screen up with loads of graphics. And one, thing's great, one thing that's great about the channel I work for, the Buy Racing Channel, is because we don't have any betting. We don't have to put lots of horrible numbers on the screen. 
So I would be pretty anti um, the, the, the graphics on the screen with the, with the silks on them because I think jockeys are wearing silks. If you want to know what color your horse is in, you can see because the jockey's wearing those silks. I, I don't know, it's just a personal opinion. I just think it's such a beautiful sport. Why cover it up with lots of numbers? But it's a personal thing. But yeah, in terms of data, say with the trackers, I think Maidan was one of the first racetracks in the world to, to implement that and it is, it is very useful. Yeah, so it's interesting you bring bring that up. Um, <clears throat> racing's got a, a huge chance to continue to uh, to innovate, and I think that especially in Europe, um, each sport continues to invest in more and more tech to try and make the viewing experience that much more immersive or or whatever. Um, it has been mentioned before that that sometimes there, there might appear to be too much betting related information given across on, on racing shows, um, which really could be time spent going into potentially more interesting things, maybe some of the more interesting human stories or even the background stories on some of the horses, etc. Do you find that by not having, I mean, you, of course you're 15 years used to it now, but when you watch racing from overseas, do you, sort of find that perhaps you've spent more time getting to the real nitty-gritty of the sport because you're not really talking about odds and pricing all the time oh definitely it's my favorite thing about my job is that because we don't have to focus on on, on racing we can pull out what I call the fluffy stories and um you know for instance I spent this afternoon filming a, a trainer who as a little sideliner started making soap out of milk that she's getting from some brood mares she has which is random, and it's not going to tell you whether or not our horses will win a race, but it's rather fun. Um, and so we get to do things like that, and, and there might be a really nice story about a horse or a, a trainer, and they've got absolutely no shot in the race. They're 100 to 1. And in a lot of racing jurisdictions, they just wouldn't let you film that. They'd say, look, we, our, our viewers want to know what's going to win, but because we don't have betting here, um, we can go and do that stuff. So it's great. Whether people want to see it or whether... They'd rather see data and they'd rather have sort of hard facts. It's, it's difficult to gauge here. We don't get a huge amount of feedback. Um, one thing I will say is from watching, obviously, racing from all around the world and, and various different broadcast styles, I think the NBC in America do an outstanding job of pulling out the human stories. And they, there's always a good story in America. And it helps, by, by and large, Americans are very happy to talk. And they do a wonderful job with their features. And, and I, they would, for me, be the sort of industry leaders um with, with what they do with their their sort of packaged content in between races i think it's absolutely uh superb but we do our best here and say we've got some great stories we've got some brilliant characters in in racing here and and, and it's opening out and we're getting sort of new trainers every year which is brilliant so there's always stories out there talking of uh new trainers and stories and and you mentioned there the um trainer who's making soap out of horses milk which is you know a new one for me but uh crack on um how many female trainers and participants at large in the sport have you got in dubai now and has that changed a lot since you first began it's a difficult one we we had a, a sort of pioneering jockey here called salima al-talil um who did very well she rode quite a few winners and she was um the first um arabic lady to ride a winner here i i, I believe um and then beyond that we've sort of had jockeys coming in and out um, megan nichols was based here last winter and, and had quite a few rides without success hayley turner's been over here several times and 
um, and, and gone very close to winning, but hasn't hasn't broken through yet. We don't. We haven't thus far had a, a female jockey um, really make a splash over here. But it's only a matter of time. I mean, you see, so you've been Saraw putting up um, plenty of, 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 of female jockeys in, in the UK. He was a very big supporter of, of Josephine Gordon's, um, and it's it's only a matter of time. There's no barrier to them. Uh, you know, riding winners here. It just, just hasn't happened yet. On the training side of things, Elise, who I mentioned, is a very talented trainer, Elise Yan. She just trains Arabian. She has had a Group 1 winner, but she only has around eight horses, so she's not a huge trainer. And then we have uh, Jackie Wickham, who's based in Abu Dhabi, who's incredibly popular, and she trains Arabians as well. Um, she's had a, hasn't really had the ammunition in recent years, but we know, we know she can train. And beyond that, we're still really um mostly centered around around men since um jill duffield retired she did incredibly well training arabians here group one winners and, and all the rest of it um, but again there's absolutely nothing there's no there's no prejudice there's, i've never been treated any differently in my job um for being female here it's just hasn't happened for whatever reason but if a if, if a job came up that was, you know, it's very hard to get a, a job here as a trainer for, you know, whoever you are. Um, so there's, there's no barrier to it and it will happen. It just hasn't happened quite yet. Yeah. And speaking about um, female jockeys coming over and making a splash, I think Holly Doyle needs to come over next. That'd be good to see. Yeah, I can, I can see it happening, certainly. I mean, she, she's done so well. I'm not sure what her plans are for the winter. Pretty much all the stable jockey jobs here have gone. But I would I would be be pretty surprised if she she doesn't get the the call up to come for the carnival. I mean, she obviously has a retainer with the Kuwaiti owner, so whether he would would send a horse, in which case she'd most likely come and and ride him. So um, yeah, I, I, we'd love to have her here. As I say, there's been plenty of, of female jockeys come over here and and try, but um, they're yet to really really break through. I should mention Joanna Grzebowska. Actually, she's a jockey, I think. Apprentice, she's done very well here in recent years. Had a couple of winners, um, so uh, yeah, there's plenty, plenty of, of, of girls having a go, and it's only a matter of time before we see one really break through at the carnival. And Holly, Holly could well be that one. Yeah. Um, and do you have many Arab jockeys? Like even when it comes to Arabian racing, not a huge number now. Obviously, Ahmed Hachtebi was the the flag bearer. Um, he rode something like 14 Group One winners for. The dolphin, which is remarkable. He's now taken up training, I believe. Um, we had an apprentice, Saida Mazrui, who I'm not sure if he even has a license to ride this season. Um, he did very well. Nice lad, did very, very well. Um, so not not a huge number at the moment. There's often a there's a couple of Omani lads who come over here and, and ride um, every so often. But no, generally our jockeys at the moment are, are still expats. Yeah. So, um, time ticks on as ever um it's been interesting chatting i think becky has gathered the same set of questions that we put to nick luck which are kind of this or that questions really so um this really gets to the crux of of laura king the person um, so there's no pressure and uh, we can, I can vaguely remember what Nick said to some of these. So I'm going to let it's Becky. Different. The <laughs> okay, let Becky fire away with these. Okay, so it's a game of this or that. So I'll give you two options and you say which one you prefer. Um, okay. So question number one, um, Asker or Cheltenham? Asker. 
tea or coffee? Neither. Can I say neither? Can't oh. stand either. Really? Interesting. Oh. Yeah. I'm a hot chocolate person. Oh, that's it. <laughs> um, sunset or sunrise? Sunrise. I'm a morning person. Red or white wine? White. Gives you less of a hangover. <laughs> True. Uh, cats or dogs? Oh, I've got a cat. She might be listening, but I prefer dogs. <laughs> we thought we could hear a cat in the background at one point. No, the noise is a baby, but the cat's in as well. Um, um, pizza or pasta? Pasta. Swimming or cycling? Ooh, difficult. I do both. So, uh, you're less likely to get killed in the pool, aren't you? Swimming. Uh, this one was definitely tailored to you. Um, enable or thundersnow? Thundersnow, I love Thundersnow. He won on three one winner on two surfaces. That's pretty good. He's very aggressive. Um, and final question, sprinters or stayers? Sorry, baby's making too much din. What was that one? Sprinters or stayers? Oh, that's really good. That's nearly as hard as the pizza or pasta one. <laughs> um, can I have a dirt sprinter? Yeah, I'll take a dirt sprinter. All right, and that's the end of the game. I think that's interesting, actually. Um, and actually, before we go, we've got a couple of minutes. But before we go, uh, talking of dirt and talking of turf, um, do you tend to kind of keep an eye on the UK uh, dirt results, which, of course, if you're, if you're betting every day and you follow racing closely, you, you know, you follow these. But we find that, you know, apart from the all-weather championship, there isn't an awful lot of um, sort of celebration of dirt racing. Do you tend to follow it a bit closer because of your because of dirt racing in Dubai and the States? I watch a lot of Kempton just because of the time it happens to be on here. We're very lucky Dubai Racing Channel. We get pretty much all the UK racing in the summer months. I watch a lot of Kempton, but from a point of view of, 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 of the, the, the surface translating to here, it really doesn't. And it's a, a mistake that I find trainers make quite a lot. They'll say, oh, my horse has won round Kempton, round Lingfield. He'll handle the dirt. Not the case. Really, I just don't think it, 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 it translates at all. It's so different. Southwell, yeah, with the actual the fiber sands, if they win on that, they're more likely to adapt to it. But uh, otherwise, I don't really think you can compare. So I don't follow it any more than I follow the turf. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, uh, I, I think after Breeders' Cup and also watching racing in Dubai and Korea and, and other places, I've kind of got more interested in dirt racing as you know as, as a unique discipline so yeah, it's just interesting to hear a different view um laura thanks for taking the time out i know it's um it's been a really busy day for you so um, no problem. thanks it. for blocking out some of that and um let's try and catch up with you again maybe after the carnival and we'll um we'll see what it was like in the in the covid world compared to normal that would be great love to thanks for having me on no probs. Um, thanks to Laura and Becky. Um, I hope you have a good rest of the day. Um, Thank you. And um, we'll, we'll see everyone next week. Um, and our guest isn't confirmed yet. We've got three possible guests for next week and just trying to figure out which one can spare the time. So uh, goodbye to everyone and we'll see you for another Racing Matters podcast next week. <laughs>